0: Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. In this episode, I'm chatting with Asia Spears, founder of the data career strategy firm Rose Data Studio. She teaches people skills beyond theory and coding that enable women to align their passions and showcase their talents. Currently, she's also getting her PhD in policy analysis at RAND Graduate School, and has an emphasis on data literacy as a key component of advancing health equity. This is a fantastic conversation for those who are interested in how we can advance equity in data careers, how we can better think about transparency within our data, and Also, she provides some great insights into systems thinking and how to think outside of the box to enable innovation and an entrepreneur mindset. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Asia. Great to be chatting with you again.
1: Hi, Sadie. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, I was really looking forward to this conversation because... You just completed a 30-day LinkedIn sprint, and I've been loving everything you've been posting, and (laughs) it was like, want to dive in with so many more questions, and so I just feel so lucky to have you on the podcast today.
1: Yes, I'm excited to chat.
0: (laughs) So those who don't know you, would you mind giving a little bit of a background about yourself and share some of Mm -hmm. the key experiences along your journey that have shaped your way of thinking and who you are today?
1: Sure. I'm happy to do that. So I think I first want to just start out with how I first connected with Sadie. And maybe like many of you, uh, I took her SQL for data science course uh, on Coursera when I was transitioning into an industry role. And so just feel like since then, you've been one of my role models. So it's just really special to be able to have this conversation with you today. Uh, And so before I took that course, I had been in uh, kind of this academic pathway, starting with my um, bachelor's in math, and then earned my uh, master's in biostatistics. And the goal initially was to become a professor. And I really had always loved teaching. I used to do uh, math worksheets with my brothers, and I would grade them, and they couldn't leave my classroom until they were done. Uh, and so I've always just had this drive to want to teach people and work with with numbers, and that you know eventually translated in, into data. Uh, and so about. Uh, halfway through my PhD program in policy analysis, I decided to take a leave of absence. And up until then, I had been working on research projects and really working in um, health policy and in uh, public health, and just was ready ready for a change, ready to do something different, um, and so I took that step outside of the academic space and got uh, my first industry opportunity, um, and since then I've been, I uh, also started my business, so Rose Data Studio, which I'm happy to chat a little bit more about as well, uh, and through that I really focus on enhancing data literacy, Uh, so that people who work with data in different spaces can use their skills to advance equity in whatever sector they're a part of. Uh, I really believe in the democratization of data skills uh, and data itself. Uh, And so whatever I can do to help make that happen, I am glad to be a part of it. And so I'm currently back in school working on my dissertation topics right now and uh, hope to graduate in 2024.
0: I love that you dived into research, took a break, and now are back into research. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. like, how has the coming back into research changed from, like, having that experience of creating your own business? Because, I mean, that's, like, Mm -hmm. such a time I feel like in one's life where you like venture out on your own, right? And so I'd love to know how it's either has inspired or helped now your research and how are you kind of blending those two worlds of being a business owner and also a PhD student and a researcher?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's a great question. So one um, very obvious way I'm blending it is by i using projects for my business as part of my graduation requirements. And so as a part of my program, we're required to work on projects, so within our institution, and then we can also work on outside projects. And so one of my projects is developing a data storytelling curriculum for a historically black college. And it's been great that that is able to count, you know, almost like dual credit for me. I get to run that project under my business and I'm getting credit um, for school uh, toward completing that project. And so I think finding ways to kind of optimize uh, different, you know, project progress toward different goals with with one thing has been very uh, useful for me. And so I've just taken all of the creative thinking and approaches that I use in my business, and I'm using that as I develop my research Um project now. And so I'm using things like design thinking to help me kind of put together these prototypes of different ideas that I have to really think about the feasibility uh, and then to pitch to potential dissertation chairs and committee members. Uh, And I think another thing in entrepreneurship is that you you get used to hearing the word no a little bit more and I get a little less afraid of it. Uh, I think when I was first in school and was applying for things like um, you know, doctoral fellowships. And I was so nervous. I was like, what if I don't get it? You know, what what do I do? How, you know, how much am I going to have to TA? And thinking about all these implications. Um, but there's times when, you know, pitching a business, you'll send out a proposal. Sometimes the answer will be no, but a lot of times the answer will be yes. And so I think those wins and opportunities are really helping me uh, just be a little less averse to, you know, that that fear of, you know, what happens if this doesn't work out? Um, I know I can always come up with another idea or pivot and try something else. Um, so I'm really encouraged by by that. And I think entrepreneurship has helped me um, with just kind of seeing seeing it through and knowing that I can figure out a way through different challenges that might come up. And doctoral cha- challenges come up quite a bit. Uh, so it's, it's great to not only have your own game plan, but to have community who supports you. And I have that as well. And that's been really, um, really wonderful. Even my entrepreneurial friends who are like, I don't ever want to go back to school, but I really, you know, admire what you're doing. Uh, that's been great, too, especially having people outside of your, your um, academic community. I think that's such a benefit.
0: For sure. I mean, I love the community aspect you're pulling in, but hundred percent agree with the overcoming the fear of the no is probably the biggest mm-hmm. lesson you can learn in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I like to think of it really as like, just like a muscle we strengthen, right. As we like mm-hmm. work out and have to increase our endurance. Like as entrepreneurs, we get this ability to increase our endurance of that no that we also dread so much. So yes. it's great to see how <laughs> you're pulling it into your research. From a research perspective, what was the inspiration behind the focus of what you want to dive into because I feel like that can be really hard to like narrow down like what you want your thesis to be, like where did the inspiration come from and where are you at on that process?
1: yeah absolutely. So I will say it has it is a challenge. I'm in the process of narrowing down. I have so many ideas and I also have the goal of graduating in two years, so it's time to to hone and focus. And I would say my inspiration came from um, one knowing that I had had such a an incredibly wonderful experience when it came to learning about math, learning how to work with data a um, big part of my inspiration comes from my family. So growing up, my mom was also actually a math major. Uh, and both of um, um, she and my grandparents went to historically black colleges. And so getting to be a math major at Spelman College was just kind of this wonderful experience for me where, you know, everyone in the classroom looked like me. I was so excited to go up to the board and to do Uh, problems. And I just said, well, what if everyone had an experience of learning math or working with data and statistics that was like this? Uh, And that's the type of environment that I try to recreate in all the work that I do uh, when I'm coaching and supporting people. And so I think I'm just imagining, you know, different spaces for learning about working with data skills. And so that's kind of one of my underlying inspirations. And so now I'm in the process of really figuring out, okay, so for which specific population? Are we thinking about public health graduate students? Are we thinking about students at HBCUs? Are we thinking about early career professionals? Um, And the answer is yes. I'm thinking about all of them, (laughs) but I can only, you know, I can hone in on one particular hypothesis and and focus. And so, but I think the good thing is, the good news is is that not only do I have, um, you know, interest in exploring these different areas. I also have different partners and people that I've met throughout my time even starting from before my independent um, or my leave of absence to now who have heard about what I'm doing and are excited to support me and are saying hey I have data I have you know a group that you could talk with uh, And so I know when it comes to you know actually implementing the work I have so many people who are behind me and that's really exciting. Um, and then I also know that the, the goal of really advancing who is participating in data work is really important too. And I was just reading an article uh, that Dr. Melody Goodman and collaborators uh, put together about their quantitative data literacy training uh, in public health. And she talked about how important it is to have people who are engaged in public health researchers as partners rather than just as participants. And, and you know, when I say participants, sometimes I'm thinking about actually the participants and analyzing the data. But I think a lot of times when we talk about participants in research, it's just kind of like research subjects, people who you have signed up to. You know, to study, to answer questions for us, and then we'll go and write our papers. And so when we think about really elevating it to the level of partnership, it goes beyond simply answering the survey. It comes back to, you know, here's how you can develop your own surveys to investigate things in your community and to make the case for policy changes that you would like to have happen. Um, here's how you can analyze it. Here's software. We're going to teach you how to use it. Here's how you can generate. Reports uh, and putting the the data into their hands. And when I think about it, I'm, I'm like, you know, we're all we're all one. Um, well, actually, I don't want to. <laughs> we'll stop there. I'm like, okay, I think that's it. Just putting data into their hands.
0: <laughs> this is super exciting because you're inspiring me to now like go back to school with this new framework of thinking. <laughs> of like, hey, we're not just using people as. Participants, but like we can actually help educate them from being a part of the process and give them the tools. Like it's a symbiotic relationship that provides benefit to Mm -hmm. both people. Like, yes, Yes. that's how our world should work. That is the systems we want, right?
1: Absolutely. So I love it.
0: (laughs) Can't wait to see the outcomes from it. You have a big focus on equity in the data space. You talked about different audiences that you want to do research and provide value to on what are some of the reasons you think that we don't see equity in data careers?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, And I've been looking at some of these numbers for a long time. So even before I, you know, got into data, even just looking at um, STEM degree completion and, you know, but also the great thing I, I feel encouraged by is that working in data, you can come from anywhere. I actually just got off the phone with someone who had a degree in literature, uh, you know, from her college, and then ended up in a very data-heavy role, uh, and is thriving in it, and is now, um, you know, acting as an independent consultant in that space. And so I think again, one thing I'm encouraged by in this data world is that, you know, we're in the tech space, you can learn the skills almost anywhere, and then you can go and apply them and and create your own opportunities. And so I think that's one thing I'm I'm very excited about um, seeing. Um, and something else, in addition to thinking about who's working in STEM, I, I want to think beyond. So I know sometimes we, we look at kind of who's employed by, you know, big companies in different spaces, but I also want to focus on the entrepreneurial side of things. I think that's so powerful. Uh, and so even if people may not move up into, you know, data leadership and other spaces and companies, which are a result of structural racism and other forces that, you know, prevent those things from happening, um that they can actually go and be CEO of their own company or they can do both. I know there's opportunities, but I know they, you know, we talk about the pipeline, but it's really people making decisions at different spaces about who they're going to give opportunities to or not. And we know that uh, the way that people are thinking about those choices is, is not always uh, without bias. So it, it's, it's, it, you know, those those choices compound over time. Um, But I'd say the two things that keep me excited are entrepreneurship and also people analytics. Um, So actually sitting down and looking what our promotion trajectory is like. So that's something else I've gotten more excited about um, in in the last few years has been seeing that companies are actually turning more attention to saying, well, how do we actually – ensure equity and equitable processes, because we have the data to tell us about retention and about promotion, uh, and how are we using this data to really audit our processes and make changes um, as necessary. Uh, so I, I feel I feel hopeful. Um, and then I guess on top of all of that, right, it's transparency in that data and the reporting uh, of, of what's going on and what what has happened, what, what we see now, and what changes we want to make so that we can get to certain goals in the future. Uh, and so I think with with all of this, it's not just that we have the data, but it's that we're able to to use it and we're able to understand it and then say, okay, these are the goals that we have. We're able to work in partnership and, um, you know, with communities and with the people who, um, who are going to be most impacted. So uh, I think I guess to me, the biggest answer for all of these is more um, transparency in how and what we're collecting and how we're using it. Um, And I think I I get a lot of this from from public health. This is these are things we talk about a lot um, that I've heard a lot and I see how they can translate into many different spaces when it comes to strategic planning and hitting goals that are not only good for. You know communities who have been disadvantaged, and to help close generational wealth gaps, but also to humanity as a whole. I mean, if we have people who aren't suffering from structural racism, what does that look like for everyone? How does that improve? um, You know what what we all experience on a daily basis. What does it look like if we're not getting you know news reports of certain things that are um, causing stress and anxiety and um, you know, what? what is that world? And so, again, it comes back to me kind of always dreaming, thinking differently, and wanting to see us get to a, a better space.
0: So you mentioned a couple of things I'd like to talk about a little bit more. Mm-hmm. One is this idea of, like, when you're faced with a decision, like, do you change the system you exist in and try and influence that? Or do you create new? And so... Yeah would love to know like your process because I think we've all experienced it right we may be at like Mm -hmm. a very large corporate institution and we're like change needs to happen and there's a great opportunity if we could change that institution right but then there's sometimes like do I just go and create new and is it easier that way and how do you decide between the two
1: Mm, that's a good, really, really good question. Um, I do. I tend to do a little bit of both, <laughs> uh, and I know some people who are very committed to changing things from within. Um, I I like to. I think I would say for myself personally, I do find that I prefer to be more on the outside and be asked to come in and support. So being recognized for um, my value as a catalyst to help enact change, uh, I think that. It it works. It suits my personality well. It makes me, um, it just helps me think. I take like this bird's eye view approach, and I'm able to kind of see all the connections without being kind of mirrored down by the the day to day. But I will say I've always also been a change agent for, at thing, you know, for things when uh, I've been a part of organizations. So starting mentorship programs, uh, initiating practicum and training opportunities, uh, and just speaking out. But there's times where um, if no one else is speaking up, I, I had someone say to me one time, like, wow, you're so outspoken. And I was the only one speaking. And so compared to everyone else, it, it seemed that You know, I was doing a lot, (laughs) Um, but I think I was simply asking for, you know, additional like student support and certain things. So it didn't it didn't seem that far fetched to me. But if, you know, relative to everyone else, pretend you know that you you're speaking out, it can also be difficult if you're one or the only one, um, one of the only ones who who is advocating for change. And so I think it's very important to always find, you know, who are going to be. Um, your partners in that work, even if they're not in your department. So say you're in a school and you see that, you know, there could be additional supports for students. Um, it's, it's great to find peers who are also working toward those same type of goals. Um, so you can lean on each other. So you can, you know, write proposals together uh, and do that work. And so I think there's, um, I guess the last thing I'll mention is that there's definitely a benefit to, you um, to to being a a part of multiple communities and multiple spaces because I've learned so much from people who are entrepreneurs and uh, really working on building uh, financial freedom for different groups. So Rachel Rogers is is one in particular. And so I love her book, We Should All Be Millionaires. I really value the lessons that she teaches and um, just about setting great boundaries, about Um, building systems and things so that you don't burn out. I'm taking a lot of those thoughts with me as I'm developing my approach to getting my work done um, in my doctoral program. Uh, And so it's been very valuable to learn from people across disciplines, across sectors um, in different industries. Um, And so knowing that I can always borrow or leverage their approaches is, is something that's encouraging to me no matter what the pathway right in front of me looks like. Uh, and so I think that was another thing I learned to kind of have informal mentors, people that I might never meet in real life, but that are inspirational to me and whose wisdom I can, I can leverage no matter you know, what situation I'm facing.
0: Yes, big fan of the community and informal mentors, I think, are much underrated because they're kind of just yes. ask them when you need it, just in time mentors, which is a great mm-hmm. opportunity for people. The other thing you mentioned was transparency and how yes. we all need to be a little bit more transparent about the data and how we use transparency to get to equity and equality and data careers. Who does this transparency responsibility fall on? Is it on the leaders of the institutions? What, is it, what can individual contributors do? How do we get to transparency?
1: So I think it's the responsibility of the leadership to set the stage for transparency by sharing their retention and um, you know diversity numbers uh, on a consistent basis, uh, and then I think within the organization, uh, being clear on what are the criteria for promotion, advancement, and uh, really adhering to those. I know sometimes there's this could be a, an idea of like, oh, it's just a gut feeling or, you know, but really having um, those rules written out versus having kind of unwritten rules, I think is, is helpful to level the playing field for everyone. Um, and it makes it clear, you know, there, of course, I think everyone has favorite people and things like that. But just because you're the favorite, I don't think that means that you, you know, automatically should just have the the pick of everything. I think there's, there's talented and capable people in all spaces. Um, And I think sometimes the difference is, is opportunity. And so how do we make opportunity um, more equitable? And so I think as we are able to share and dive into the data in different ways um, that, you know, we'll be able to see that. And so I think the other part kind of in in between, right, those, the data and the insights are uh, people analytics teams, um, HR analytics. So really actually studying the numbers and making recommendations and staying on top of best practices and, and saying, okay, well, we're seeing, you know, this particular change. Here's, here are some recommendations and being, um, Having the opportunity to hold people accountable, so I know they also talk about tying um, people's bonuses and other incentives to uh, being, you know, adhering to these goals. I think those things, you know, remind people in their encounters to to make sure that they're they're adhering to the values that the company has said these are these are important.
0: So if you are one of those people who do want to be a change maker, I just want to say that Asia has a fantastic about how to position yourself for data analytics roles in a healthcare, and she's been kind enough to give all the listeners of the DataBytes podcast 15% off to that course. So we will put it in the show notes so that you have access to that as well. But before we got into the rapid fire questions, wanted to let people know the most important part of how to connect with your classes at Rose Data Studio. Um, And we'll be sure to put in your social links for LinkedIn as well. But if you're ready, we can jump into the rapid fire questions.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right. So favorite song that you're listening to right now?
1: So it's not really a song, but it's just coffee shop music on YouTube so I can relax and get work done.
0: (laughs) I love it. You definitely are in school right now all of those (laughs) (laughs) studies. All right, favorite place Mm. you've traveled?
1: Uh, Montreal. I went for a conference and had a blast. Yeah.
0: All right, I have not gone there but it's on the list now. (laughs) To you, happiness is?
1: Uh, A sense of ease. And, um, yeah, that's it. Just, like, even that deep breath that I just took.
0: <laughs> Leaning into
1: that happiness for me.
0: Uh, yes, there's nothing better than a deep breath. <laughs> In the next five years, you hope to? Um,
1: just, I want to just continue living every day to the fullest. I, you know, of course, graduation and other things are on the horizon, but I I try to go to bed just, you know, at peace every day with the things that I've accomplished.
0: And then lastly, to me, curiosity is?
1: Uh, It's a guiding force uh, in terms of if I'm going to dive into a new topic. So I definitely love Googling to kind of explore things. Um, I love bouncing ideas around with other people to see where we may get to and, um, what what new opportunities we can create. So it's it's a lot of fun to, to be led by my curiosity.
0: I agree. Well, Asia, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a pleasure. I am such a fan and huge supporter of your work. I can't wait to hopefully have a conversation again with you in a few years when your research <laughs> is all done and um, see what's next thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much, Sadie. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.